Welcome to Maestros On Air, presented by the Space Coast Symphony Orchestra, recorded at Maestros Cafe, located at the Brevard Central Library and Reference Center in beautiful Cocoa, Florida. Maestros On Air is a discussion of culture, news events, and life on the Space Coast, and highlights the music concerts, and personalities of the Space Coast Symphony Orchestra. Today's show features President of the Symphony Board, Eric Lee. Now your host, SESO Director of Communications, Bill Trudeau. Good afternoon. Ah, good afternoon, Bill. This is great. I'm excited. You know, you normally say... Not normally. Every time you say, this is going to be the best show ever. It is going to be the best show yeah. ever. Well, I concur. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And why is it the best show ever? Well, we have a very special guest. But I think you've ignored our esteemed producer. No, I haven't. We haven't gotten to him yet. I'm just saying, we have a very special okay, guest. Yes, that's true. Anyway, good afternoon. Good to see you. Good afternoon, Mr. Bill. Eric Lee, president of the board of the Space Coast Symphony. Good afternoon, Jeremy Hickman. Hello, Bill. Hello, Eric. Yes, this is uh, truly an important day. A guest we never actually thought we would get on this show. We were able to trick her, and here she is. <laughs> yes, I was able to bamboozle her with the promise of a free lunch. <laughs> <laughs> really? Oh, yes. But I've been uh, asking my wife, Colleen, to be on the show since we've started, and she finally gave in. So who is our special guest? My wife of 27 years, the woman behind the scenes of the Space Coast Symphony, Colleen Lee. Colleen Lee. Thanks for having me, you guys. Now, I'd be clapping. I think Jeremy has a sound effect for the clapping. Do you, Jeremy? Uh, right, here we go. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> Perfect. Yes. Yeah, no, and of course, obviously, we could uh, have her talk about uh, how she uh, tolerates you and takes care of you, but the real relevant... That could be like a whole other program. Right. Yes. Re re relevant to this particular program is the fact that both of you are founding members of the Space Coast Symphony Orchestra. Yes, that's true. And well, Colleen helps with the day-to-day -day operations. Yes, she is the woman behind the curtain, like in The Wizard of Oz... Yeah, the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain. Colleen is the woman behind the curtain. Where did it all begin? We've heard this a couple of different ways. Actually, uh, Kathleen uh, Leisure, and I've heard it from Eric. We had just moved to town in 2005, and I had asked uh, Jim Bishop what organizations were good to play with in the area, and he recommended Central Florida Winds. So we went to our first rehearsal. And I sat down, and I didn't know anybody in the room except for Eric. And I remember Aaron came up to me and said, Hi, I'm Aaron Collins, and shook my hand. And I thought, how strange that was. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, we used to live in this one neighborhood where we had this little young boy that lived down the block, and he came to our house one day and introduced himself. He was probably like seven. And I remember thinking, boy, he could be the next president of the United States. I know, we States. called him He's the already... little president. Because he, he just came out, we had just moved into the neighborhood, and the, this little kid comes up and says, hello, I'm, you know, so-and-so. Welcome to the neighborhood. So the little kid that did that, that was Aaron? No, no, no. No, well, it could no, have no. Been like, but it, it reminded like me of that, that little you. boy that Aaron's lived down like the block. A, you know, like a big kid. You yeah, know, Aaron's like Aaron a big kid. Because Aaron just was yeah. a member of the band. He right. wasn't the I leader gotcha. of the band. He was a French horn player. 
And he just went around and shook everybody's hand and introduced himself. Really? So Mr. Personality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Which was really nice. You know, yeah. it was very yeah, well. Aaron, and it's real. It's not fake, like a put-on right. kind of Aaron's a thing. Aaron's like a natural He's, he's a really politician. great guy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, if you notice, like in the programs, he goes around and says hello to people, you know, like before the concert or intermission or after the concert. I and think he people remembers really your name. It. He'll remember who you are and... Right, he's, he's very... got an uncanny sense of recall. Well, I'm very impressed that he re- remembers my name. Seriously, I think it's great. Uh, <laughs> I'm honored. Doesn't give, he see you like almost you, uh, every day? Like I say, you, you, you sit about 15 feet from his desk five days a week. Uh, hopefully he would remember your name. Yeah, I know. Just make, voicing an observation, though. Yeah, you're, <laughs> you're a fine, uh, fine American. So... Uh, so there you have it. So how did it all begin with the Space Coast Symphony? <laughs> yes. I want to yeah. hear your version. We've heard it like three or four times, but you give your version. Well, Aaron was conducting Verdi's Requiem at Riverside. And uh, after that, it was so much fun. You know, not having somebody give us the hand all the time and wanting more trombone sound. And it was just a really, really nice experience. I just said to him after the concert, I said, you should start an orchestra. And... Uh, a month later, he came over to our house. He had filled out all the nonprofit paperwork and filled it out and submitted it. And then he asked Eric if I, and I if we wanted to be on the board. And we had no idea what we were getting into, but we thought it would be a lot of fun to help get this orchestra started. And so we said yes. Little did we know. And here you are over <laughs> six seasons later. Yeah. And you're it still is. smiling. You're laughing. You're having a great time. Yeah, uh, I, I can't verify they are both smiling. That you, you two actually look genuinely happy. Well, I'm just happy because I'll be eating lunch soon. <laughs> <laughs> what have you ordered? Oh, man. I haven't put my order in yet. That's okay. a good point. So we are here at Maestro's Cafe. That's right, at the beautiful Central Brevard Library and Reference Center. Sure, and Reference Center, you have to say that. That's well, right. well, I did something, and it was kind of cunning. You wouldn't have noticed this, but we used to sit around a big table, and we would order, and the food would come. And uh, what I've done is I've migrated us to another little sitting area where we all have a nice, big, uh, easy chair that we sit in. Except and for Bill. Well, he except for Bill, we ha- we have a kind of a hard back wooden chair for him, but we'll we'll work on that for next time. But he said his back has been bothering him, so it's good for him. To I did not. Up. I didn't ah, say perfect. my back's been bothering me. Oh, my back is bothering me. That's what it is. I should be sitting there. <laughs> but, but 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 there are two great things about this location. Number one, that it's a nice, comfortable chair to sit in. Yes. But number two, and this is what I did my producer thing here. We have a side table, so you can have a cup of coffee, a glass of water. There's no room to put a plate of food. So forcing that would be you to, very hard. Let's, let's do the show, and then we'll order food after the show and have lunch at another table. Yes, that's very smart of you, Jeremy. You're the voice <laughs> of reason. Now, we'll see. You know, Next week, knowing this information, he'll move us back to one of the other tables. No, I'll bring my TV tray. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I can see that. I prefer that Eric not eat on the show. You can actually hear that he's eating. I've actually mentioned this to him quite a bit. I concur. Uh-oh, did I actually say that? Eric, I'm just kidding. No, he looked at me and the look down like I'm going to kill him. Interestingly enough, I actually have had a couple of people said, who is that guy that's always eating? Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. That's me. Absolutely serious. That's great, though. That's I'm what all I do. for it. I'm known for eating. I'd be eating if I could, too. Why can't you eat? Because you do. 
Somebody has to be driving this uh, vehicle. Driving the bus? Yeah. Speaking of driving this bus, uh, let's uh, get on with uh, yeah. the guest let's of the going. hour, Colleen. All right. Got reports to do. All right. So, um, well, so we've talked about how you first met Aaron and how the symphony started. Let's go back in time a little bit more. Uh, what, um, well, you know, like all our guests, you were born at a very early age. Uh, <laughs> what? Yes. What the audience doesn't see is the look of a woman who has put up with this humor for many a decade. <laughs> That's true. So, Colleen, why did you decide to play the trombone? Well, when I was very young, my mother purchased for Christmas a little kazoo for each one of us. A we, kazoo? I had, I had, yes, a kazoo. Was this a metal kazoo? No, they were plastic. Okay. And one was a trombone, one was a saxophone, one was a trumpet, and one was a clarinet. And she gave each one of us one of these little kazoo toys. Were they slide kazoos? The trombone did actually slide to third position. Oh, uh, I have never <laughs> seen one of these. I, obviously, really I know cool. what a kazoo is, but... I wish I still is... had it, but it was I'm really gonna have, cool. I'm going to have to look these up. These yeah. are cool. I've seen, I've seen those. Well, yeah. each one of us ended up playing the instrument that we got when we were very young. It probably was before first grade that we got, at least that I got the kazoo. So, I, you know... Five years later, when I had to pick out an instrument, it was between the flute and the trombone, and I think that kazoo really <laughs> swayed me to. All right, so this is very interesting because I'm going That's back. Cool. This has been a recurring theme. You know, what made you choose your instrument of choice? So we've heard a number of answers, including, well, it was the only one that was available. It was the least expensive. <laughs> the band needed somebody to play this. This is the first time anybody said, "Well, I had a kazoo that was in that shape <laughs> and decided to keep playing it." It's true. And what's even funnier is her brother other two sisters they played they the instruments too the, the same instrument and it was really kind of a dixieland style you know if you think about it trumpet trombone saxophone clarinet so as we grew up playing the instruments my mom would always make us play together and we were you know different ages and different levels of playing and she would make us play these little band arrangements on the front porch for all the neighbors to listen to oh that's cool that <laughs> like is watermelon neat. man and i forget some of the other ones but yeah, did it you was ever a lot play the Saints? I think we did play the Saints. Yeah, yeah. that's a good one. That's so a you Dixieland standard. You were actually an entertainer, right? At a young oh, age. Oh yeah, I love yeah. playing. The, it was in your blood. I love playing the trombone. It's like one of the best things I've ever done. So when did you um, really start getting serious with the trombone? I was so into playing the trombone immediately. Uh, in fifth grade, I used to play these Music Minus One. Albums, you'd get the music and you'd play with the trombone player on the thing, mm -hmm. on the on the record player. Oh, oh, you, oh, is it like on side one? It would have the full song yeah. that you would listen and hear what the part is, and you flipped it over to side two, and it's everything yeah. but the trombone. Yeah, and you would try to mimic what you heard on side one. Yep. Yeah, I just love playing the trombone. I was I would play it for hours every day at in fifth sixth grade, and I used to go to music camp, and between fifth and uh, between 6th and 7th grade, I went to Illinois' music camp. And and when I went there, the, the tuba teacher, uh, Perrin Tony, told me that I needed to study with somebody in the Chicago Symphony. My mom and dad went home and they said, well, we've got to call, you know, Mr. Crisofoli. He's the second trombone player in the Chicago Symphony and ask him if he'll take our 7th grade student, you know, which they really didn't think he would, and so finally they got enough courage to call him. And he said, sure, come on over, you know, we'll try her out. 
So my parents, the other thing that um, Parent Tony told me, told my parents that, that I need to do is I needed to get a new trombone. I was playing on a what we call a pea shooter, which is a student model trombone. And he suggested that I get a Bach trombone, you know, a big bore horn. Does Bach 36? 42. Uh, 547. So, 547. So, so Bach 42. Bach Sounds 42. Like an 547. It's a, it's a large bore trombone. So my parents went to hey, the local... Isn't that, what, uh, isn't that what Don Staples said he was playing when he uh, interviewed... I mean, not, yes. not interviewed, but... Uh, when he won mm-hmm. the... Uh, tried out, auditioned for right, the Lawrence Welk show. He was yep. playing like a big 547 that's, horn. That's typically what you play in a, a symphony. And so my parents went to the local store and they happened to have a Bach... 42 on the shelf and they bought it and you know i was really young and i i started playing this big horn and i couldn't really get a good sound and i sounded much better on the pea shooter so uh, mr christopher said bring both instruments you know and so i got there and i said would you like me to play the little horn or the big horn and he said let's play the big horn you know <laughs> of course he wouldn't want me to play the pea shooter but um so you know we started having lessons every other week and you know, my dad asked him, how much are lessons? And and he said, oh, we'll talk about that next time. So months went, went, went by, and I was having lessons every other week with Mr. Christopher And uh, finally, my dad just said, you know, listen, I've... Wasn't he bringing, like, like big wads of cash everywhere? He had everywhere? wads of cash in his pocket. And he said, listen, I don't even know if I can afford these lessons. You know, I, I have no idea what you're going to charge. You know, I really would like to compensate you for this. And he says, you don't owe me anything. You know what that is? That's unbelievable. That's like an honor and a compliment wrapped all into yeah. one. He never charged my parents. I took lessons from him from seventh grade all the way through high school every other week, and he never charged a penny. Yeah, he was, he was a really, really great person. See, that's, that's the kind of support. I'm serious about this. There's a lot of people that I think have talent or the ability, if it would just be sparked in the, within them, um, they can do all kinds of great things. But you have to have that support. That's incredible support. Yeah. My parents used to buy him, we used to go out and buy him a really nice Christmas present every year. And so the first year we went out and bought him this gold pen set, you know, and we gave it to him for Christmas. And when I went, I went to Northwestern, which is where he taught. And when I was either a junior or a senior in college, so this was you know, nine years later, he pulled out this pen out of his pocket and he says, do you know where I got this pen? Mm-hmm. And I said, I think so. Yeah. And he says, yes, you gave it to me, you know, nine, he, and he treasured that, that pen set that we gave him. You well, know, he was just such a wonderful person. And the funny thing is we have a portrait of uh, Mr. Christopher and it has the pen in his pocket. It does, yes. And mm-hmm. it's not and it's not a picture that Colleen, this is a picture that some like photographer had taken. I, I know we could we could actually sit here and talk for days, probably more than days, weeks, months, about all the details of your experience with music. Speeding up, fast forwarding to the lady behind the curtain, the business aspect of you. Let's pull the curtain back. I guess I really want to see the Space Coast Symphony survive, and I love playing trombone in the orchestra. So I'm willing to do a lot of work for the symphony to make sure it's successful. And I know in the beginning, Aaron, his vision for the orchestra was to keep prices low for tickets so that anybody could go. But there are a lot of costs that go into putting on a concert. 
and I know you all are aware of all the costs. Well, I don't know if our listeners are aware of the costs. You see, well, because you know, if do you think like if you're you're like you know the man on the street, and Bill, you're kind of, you know you don't realize what the costs are of a concert. Do you think? I have an idea. I mean, I don't know what the specific costs are, <clears throat> what the specific costs are, but I do know that there are a lot of different facets to it. And if you break each one of those down, no, I do not know what those particular costs are. But I know there's a lot involved, and um, not just costs, but a lot of details. Right. Well, I can tell you. You know, I moved here a few years ago, and when I came to my, you know, somebody invited me mm-hmm. to a Space Coast Symphony uh, program, and I came to it, and I paid my, you know, money for the ticket and enjoyed it. But you know, going through my mind was not, hmm, are these volunteers? Are they part time? Do they get paid just for the performance? Uh, what about these people up front? Are they, you know, taking the money? Or are they paid? Are they volunteers? You know, what about the back end? Do they have an office? Do they pay? So none of those things occurred to me to think about. I just there's a ticket price. I came. I enjoyed the music. But now that I've gotten involved, I found there's there's really a lot to a lot that goes into the budgeting process and how we uh, work to 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 pay for a lot of these free and discounted tickets that we give to the public. Yeah, I mean, if you look at if you go to one of our concerts, most likely you're going to see 50 people or so on stage, and each of those musicians is paid. And I have a funny story about about musicians getting paid. I play in this group called the Dog Bones, and we usually play at um, nursing homes. You know, not not usually, but we do play at nursing homes. And one time, uh, we were we were at the nursing home and. Uh, you know, you know, Kate was a member of the group, and she's been on the show, Kate Leisure, and she asked the audience, how many of you, how, how long do you think that we've been playing our instruments? And, oh, I, this is a good story. And uh, all these people raised their hands, and she pointed to somebody, and they said, six months. <laughs> <laughs> six months. <laughs> and, you know, you know, people have no idea. You know, and so then she, you know, would point at a couple of, Somebody would guess a year or two years. So then we went down the line of the dog bones, you know, and Don Staples was in the group at that time. And I mean, I think the average number of years that we've all been playing our instruments was like 40 years or more. And people don't realize what it takes to get to the level playing in a symphony orchestra. Now, you don't have to be old to be a great player. There are younger players in the symphony, but there's a lot of experience that goes into playing and, you know... Most of the musicians that play with the Space Ghost Symphony do it for a living. Yeah, I think maybe the point you're trying to make is uh, it's a passion, but not necessarily a hobby. Correct. They, you know, the, these it are primarily to, professional musicians. Correct. It needs to be able to pay pay for your time and your gas, and you know, we love it. I mean, don't get me wrong; everybody loves playing in in musical ensembles, but it does it is what they do for a living. What we do for a living, and so. There's costs involved with that. So that is probably the biggest cost, paying the musicians. But there's also music rental. Uh, this last concert we just did, uh, West Side Story, I think cost $2,000 to rent the music for that concert. Right. I, I, in fact, I remember uh, when I uh, drove up and was parking, I parked right behind a big trailer that was, uh, I, won't, I won't say uh, who the vendor was, but it was, you know, 
uh, rental of certain musical instruments, and mm. they had brought an entire trailer full of right. uh, big, uh, percussion. heavy... Yeah. It was percussion. a percussion okay. rental. Yeah. And that's and separate from the music rental. But you're talking that's to separate. Talking music. To, oh, talking that's right. The okay. sheet music. Okay, I'm right. About- so there's the license fee for the music that gets played, but mm-hmm. then separately, sometimes, because of the specific pieces and who owns which hardware, you might have to actually go out and rent certain instruments. And in this case, for the last performance, it was a, a whole trailer full of percussions. Usually there's a trailer full of uh, percussion. We don't own any percussion instruments. So we rent it and bring it into the halls because most halls don't have their own percussion equipment. Or maybe it's not the the quality that we're looking for for our concerts. And uh, usually the percussion cost is around four to $500 per concert. Uh, there's also uh, the venue charges us. And they charge us per hour to put on concerts. So Holy Trinity, we have rehearsals there. There's a fee per hour, and then the concert. Then, then we have the uh, the uh, licensing, which is ASCAP and BMI which requires is in, us. Which is in addition to the music rental cost. Yeah, that's, that's a separate cost. You have the licensing, but you have the music rental cost. So those are two separate things. A lot of people don't know that. Right. They so, don't. for, for right. example, West Side Story, the musician budget was $14,000. And the music was $2,000. The percussion was over $400, and the venue for both venues was about $1,700. Wow. So, and that doesn't include BMI and ASCAP, and uh, most of the uh, people that are out there taking your tickets are volunteers. Uh, and it doesn't include our liability insurance. It doesn't include That's our liability. Like we have a liability cost. insurance that we pay or that basically covers the venue if there's any accidents at the venue. And, and the symphony is not, uh, they don't have a lot of things that are extravagant, but you haven't even talked about uh, the administrative cost. I mean, you have to have an office. You know, there's things. We, we were having a conversation, Eric, yesterday about a copy paper and toner and, and right, things right, like that. Right, right, right. We were talking but, about that. Your friend, uh, Rico. <laughs> <laughs> is that the name of your friend, Rico? No, no that's, that's the name of the We copper. have a printer know, that we purchased. A generous uh, donor donated to us a few years ago. Uh, can I say his name? No. No? He wishes to be anonymous. He, he wishes to be anonymous. Oh, he does. Okay. Um, anyway, he, he donated the printer because we were spending so much money printing programs and printing flyers and doing all this stuff that he donated, a, he purchased this big, huge, expensive printer so we can do our own programs. But there's still the cost of the ink and, the, you know, the maintenance and, you know, Right, the thing paper. we were talking about on the phone was there's like a maintenance contract where you pay like so much a month and it includes the toner and how many pages. And, you know, there's still a mm-hmm. lot of, you know, costs, even though yeah. we are lucky enough to have this giant printer. So going back to the beginning of time when Aaron came over and asked us to be on the board for the Space Coast Symphony, we had no idea what we were getting into. Uh, we were musicians, loved playing our instruments, never ran an orchestra. And we thought it was a good idea to create an orchestra that people could go to, affordable prices. We had no idea what the costs and all the work that was involved. So after being in the orchestra and you know being taking care of things for the orchestra for the last six years, I did a lot of research to see how other orchestras survive. Because it's, it's to be honest with you, it's a struggle, everyday struggle for the orchestra to keep going. And what I've learned is that most orchestras only rely on 50% of their revenue from ticket sales. 
By the way, I want to observe you're 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 making the motion of a circle and a pie chart. It's a chart. pie. I actually yeah, have created so a pie imagine, chart. Imagine imagine an invisible pie chart here. So go on. I right. like I like pie. So the I fifty percent of the pie chart is for ticket sales revenue. And then the other part of the revenue is donations. So fifty percent of our revenue, we rely on donations from our donors. And then we sell ad space for our programs, which we hope that all of our patrons will go out and and use our uh, sponsors for the concert. And the other smallest percentage of the of the pie is grants, which we do receive grants from the county and the state. Our donors are great. In a typical year, we probably get between forty and fifty thousand dollars from our donors to help support the orchestra. The best year we've had so far was almost $100,000. Wow. Which was a huge, so, great for the symphony. You know, we, you know we're, we always struggle to make ends meet because it's so expensive to put on these concerts. And I don't think people really realize how much it costs to put on these concerts. But we love it. We love doing it. We, we think it's a great thing for our neighborhood to be able to offer these concerts. Well, that's the money part of it. That's the money part of it. I know that there is a lot more to this than I thought originally when I, before I came on board because I had never been involved, number one, with a nonprofit organization. And I just thought, well, this is going to be interesting. Um, I love marketing and advertising and business and, and show business. And I thought, well, this has to be pretty much the same thing I'm used to, right? It is quite a bit different. And I got to tell you, I'm really blown away by all of the details and all of the preparations and, and the fact that Aaron, not to go back to Aaron Collins, um, I mean, we're talking about you, but Aaron Collins is so involved with every aspect of this thing. If you could shed some light on all of that kind of stuff. Well, if you think about it, this is like a business. It's a, probably about a two hundred to $250,000 a year annual budget to run the symphony. Sure. And just like any business, you have operations where people have to answer the phone. They We create the, the programs that we put together. There's a lot of preparation for those. Uh, both Aaron and I are very much involved in almost every aspect of what goes on behind the scenes. But if you listen to that number, uh, which may sound like a big number, if you compare that to other markets and other organizations, that's a shoestring budget. Correct, yeah. I mean, the first year that we started out was probably around 100000 Each year it gets a little bit, the budget gets a little bit bigger. Well, Aaron gets a little more ambitious each year. <laughs> yeah. It's true. I mean, uh, it's, the programs we put on are not inexpensive. Uh, they're, you know, a lot of orchestras that are like ours will have concerts that are a lot of concerts, actually, that are cheaper to put together, like maybe Haydn or Mozart. It's a smaller orchestra. You don't need as many musicians. The uh, music isn't as expensive to rent. Uh, you know, so they'll they'll have smaller on you know smaller concerts, and then they'll do maybe one big concert a year. We're doing, I think, it's twelve to sixteen concerts this year. It's a lot, and yeah. most of them are big concerts. Expensive right. concerts. And everything is big. 
And another thing that Aaron, you know, is, is quite proud of talking about the fact that as compared with a lot of other organizations, we really do focus more on more modern mm -hmm. music, which the, typically the more recent the music and the more popular the music, the higher the licensing fees. Mm -hmm. It's true. We, you know, as musicians and as people that go to the concert, they get to hear music that they've never heard before, most likely. Uh, and I think he picks pretty good music. It's you know, like I have this one friend that she went to, uh, she got her doctoral degree as a composition major. And she told me she thought that the music that she had to listen to in college for her doctoral degree destroyed her colon. Really? It's wow. true. She said it just tore her apart listening to the music. And, you know, she ended up losing most of her colon. So it's true that she said that or yeah. true that that she can actually happen? Did it did happen. part of her colon. No, I know. Yeah. It did happen. Wow. Really? Yeah. There's a lot of like heavy bass, a lot of low tones, just, just vibrating. Just very atonal music. You know, the music so, that we play, even though it's new music, it still has, you know, it still has melodies. It still has... Has tonality. Interesting. You know. It's not completely atonal. So atonal music can actually cause health issues? In, well, her, in her. her case, she really thinks that was true. And she was worried about graduating because, you know, if she went all through this, she said, you know, I, I don't agree with this. The music I'm going to write is going to be tonal music. You know, the, I mean, it was still modern music, but it was tonal. It had tonality and melodies and stuff. She actually, on her uh, recital, she actually wrote a piece for us. For the, uh, we were the... Um, she was a Cubs fan, so Colleen was the Cubs, and I was the White Sox. <laughs> uh -oh. so, and the Cubs were in major, and the and White Sox were in minor. Minor. That is beautiful. And, it, and, we, and she had, like, um, I had, like, both tubas. I had two, both tuba mutes. It was kind of a very complicated piece. And I, I had, on the big tuba, I put the sign up that said Frank Thomas. Because, you know, back then, <laughs> yep. this was like in the early 2000s, Frank Thomas was the big hurt for the White Sox. So, But the Cubs did win the piece. So. Hey, quick side note, you mentioned uh, Tuba and, and Mutant a few few shows back after Big Band Bash. I was talking about, we were talking about the bucket mutes for your yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. bass trombone. And right. at the time, I said it's one of the biggest mutes I've seen. This uh, last show... Um, uh, the West Side Story, actually, th that truly was the largest mute I've seen. Because, you know, for example, I've, I've seen several times uh, you can get a mute to go on a sousaphone, but uh, the difficulty there is the sousaphone kind of curves ov right. over, so it can't be very deep. You know, it just kind of right. is uh, cursory goes in the front of the belt. But the mute you were using this last week, it, it was like a like a gigantic dinosaur tooth or something it was right. what probably you know you know two feet long at and least it was it was extremely even though even though the bell was smaller than a big sousaphone it was straight so well, you had this really larger mass i have seen yeah. one really yeah but um like that because more well, for the big tube i mean it's a 20 inch bell the mute is pretty good size it's i mean it's probably about the size of like a traffic cone yeah, exactly yeah it's you about know. that size it's very large and then the interesting thing was there's a mute in West Side Story and there was also a mute in the uh, Kenneth Fuchs piece also so but, which is very unusual A to have a mute and then to have two pieces on the same concert with a mute it's very very unusual can I tell you something I'm a fan of the mute did you like the I'm mute I'm a big mute fan uh, you know, I spent half the program hitting mute on your microphone so I <laughs> <laughs> are you serious no I'm kidding I'm okay kidding. that was one of the biggest challenges for me being in the trombone uh, section is doing uh, the mute changes in the West Side Story 
They were very fast. Well, let me ask you this. Um, I, I know that you know we've discussed the money and and you know basically the cost and some of the some of the stuff. I know I know there's more. I want to dig a little. I know there's more stuff. Um, Aaron decides what he's going to do, and I think he does it based on. And I've heard a couple of meetings because there I am outside of Aaron's office. I'm in my office, and I and I hear you guys, and you're talking about like what pieces to do and this and that, and like how it's going to happen. Okay, once you decide on a concert, what happens? How does it unfold? Let's talk about the Big Band Bash, for example, or not the Big Band Bash, but Art of the Big Band, this new concert that has recently been added um, to the season, the 8th and 9th that's coming up. Paint us the picture. How did that unfold? Please do that, but even before she goes there, there are actually two discrete things that both probably have an interesting story. The first one you said, the Big Band Bash, you know, here is a situation where that was part of the regular season planning, and it was the Jazz Symphony, so we have a new uh, director of the Jazz Symphony, so that, there was a whole decision-making process there. Plus, the other one is actually a newly commissioned concert. The decision came mid-season, so if, maybe talk about both of those and how those, those processes unfold. Well, I think, I think the reason why we decided to do the concert in August, the Art of the Big Band, is primarily because we had a new... Pat Hennessy was our new conductor for the Space Coast Jazz Orchestra. And we, frankly, people want to hear this music. So we decided just to add another concert. You know, people like it. I think a lot of it was that it was such a big hit, the big band bash, you know, that we decided to add the concert. Because if it wasn't a big hit, we wouldn't have added it. But what happens after you decide... Okay, then who, you know, for example, okay, the next, the next step is You've somebody... You've got logistics and all the other things. Right, that's what I'm saying. Well, so somebody to... calls Jean, right? Mm-hmm. She Then she gets in, involved. Actually, with the jazz, she doesn't get involved oh, okay. with the jazz. Um, Pat, Pat Hennessy does all the uh, librarian-type work for the jazz ensemble. Okay. Uh, what happens in a typical concert is the musicians get their music one to two weeks before the concert. With the jazz orchestra, you get it the day of the concert. There's no rehearsing it ahead of time. You, you, you get your music the day of the concert. We run through it pretty much once, and then we do the concert. So who takes care of all of that stuff? With the music, Pat Hennessy. Pat Hennessy. Yeah. But a typical concert. Typical ha- concert would be Gene. Okay, so Gene would gather all the music, send it to all the musicians, mm-hmm. Wow, my hat's off to Jean, I gotta tell you. It's a lot of work. That's a, a lot of yeah. work. I see her come in there and you know, she's making copies of this and that and on the phone constantly and online and I'm like, What are you doing? What are you doing, Jean? And so she tells me and I'm thinking, Okay, that's great, better you than me. Well, not to get too granular there, because I'm not usually there when that happens. I'm just curious now that we're talking about this. Does that get mailed out to people, or do people come in and pick up their music? It gets mailed out to the musicians. And and are those full sheets? Is that like big tabloid-sized envelopes that are going out? Actually, the rental music that we receive is sent out to all the musicians, so they can have a chance to take a look at it before the first rehearsal. Usually the music we play is pretty difficult. I mean, not all of it, but like West Side Story, very challenging work. Now, Especially for the brass. And do the they woodwinds. mail it the old-fashioned way, you know, by truck and mailmen delivering the mail? Or, you know, like putting it in a mailbox? Or do they use the new drone technology, just so you know? Just so I know. 
I'm pretty sure it's on a mail truck and delivered okay. in the regular mail. I don't okay. think we use drones yet, although <laughs> I, that, I'd like that to might use be drones. helpful in some cases. I'd like to use drones. Well, for people of the future who may tune in and drone technology <laughs> delivers their mail, this show is being recorded in 2015. Is it? Indeed, indeed it is. And drone technology is not yet used for delivery of groceries, mail, or uh, other common essentials. But, you know, most of our operations is run by volunteers. Jean is a volunteer. She's not paid for all the work that she does. All of our volunteers that put together the tickets that you that the patrons get at the concert, which is hours of an hours of work putting those envelopes together, is by a volunteer. I do a lot of work for the symphony. I do all the bookkeeping. I uh, answer the phones. I kind of help run things. And I do all that as a volunteer. And I probably work over 40 hours a week for the symphony. Wow. That's, uh, that's a lot of wake. Well, I think what I heard also embedded in what you said is even volunteers aren't free because you have to have a space for them to work. You have to have office supplies. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. There's some management of their activities. We're lucky to have the, uh, the space at the Brevard Library Foundation House, which really is a beautiful home. It's perfect for a symphony orchestra to run its operations. It just feels feels right. And, uh, you know, we're actually able to collaborate with other nonprofit organizations there. And it really works out well, which is really directly across the parking lot here from Maestro's Cafe. It's so convenient. I know. I keep telling everybody, hey, I need to, uh, you know, trim down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, we should probably stop having the show here in the cafe because, you know, we're always eating while we're having the show. I am telling you what. I mean, it's really right across the parking lot, you know. It's very handy for you, isn't it? It's I think Eric's gained 15 pounds since he started doing the he show. He has? Yeah. Really? At least. Well, I've I'm started, proud of it. I've started walking <laughs> like a madman, so I'm countering. I'm countering. You're doing um, a fine job. You're a fine American. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Thank you. Well, I'm um, joining the trend as I get older. I, I have my pedometer on my wrist, so I'm tracking my uh, my motion the and mileage, my yeah, uh, the yeah, mileage yeah, uh, and the, the walks, calories yeah. and the and the and the sleep activity and all oh. the rest. Mm. Yeah, that's sleep what activity. I need. That's good. You you need a good night's sleep. That's very important. <laughs> sleep activity. That's very important. That's funny. So, what do you do when you find that you're not sleeping well? Uh, well, I'm still in the information gathering uh. stage, so I've had a couple of previous <laughs> models. This is the first one that actually tracks the sleep information, and it does stuff. I mean, you can you can manually tell it I'm going to sleep now and I'm waking up now, or it can make some assumptions. But while you're in the sleep process, it will track. You know, is it light sleep because you're turning and twisting a lot, or are you in deep sleep, meaning you're not moving around much? So it lets you know how how restful your sleep is. Hmm. Colleen, speaking of sleep. So, how well do you sleep at night? Well, last night I did not sleep well. Really? Is this true, Eric? I mean, you're I her husband. I don't know. I'm out like a light. Really? Out so like he's out. I don't know. He has a CPAP, and as soon as he puts it on, he's you out. You have a CPAP? Yeah, it's great. I have a CPAP. You do? Yeah. Everybody should have I one. I tried reversing my CPAP, though. What do you mean Instead reversing? Instead of like putting oxygen in your mouth... Uh, basically what it does, it actually sucks air out of your lungs. <laughs> no, I mean, I tried reversing it because Why? I thought it would be better. Because I almost drowned one night. My CPAP backflowed or overflowed or something. I don't what? know. I never heard of such I a thing. I didn't know you weren't supposed to have it up above a certain level. Oh, the anyway, water. I had it, yeah. Oh, I had it up high yes. and down she went. 
Right, yeah. you got to have it like a certain level, and that's just to get you know keep your yeah. sinuses uh, moisturized. Well, so I reversed it, oh. like an old Electrolux vacuum cleaner. I never heard of such a thing. <laughs> no, but I would highly recommend you know a CPAP. If you're having trouble sleeping, I would go to yeah. the doctor, go to get a sleep study. You know, that's a kind of a good story how I get, ended up with the CPAP. Yeah, but, but, but we, uh, so what? She, uh, Colleen, you caused him to get the CPAP? Well, Eric, Eric, I don't know how much detail you want me to go into, but Eric has. I, I'm going I'm I'm to guess oh. that snoring came into play here. Well, he had an ear problem. He was he was going deaf. Well, yeah. I thought he was going oh deaf. Well, no, it's not just you. He won't listen to me either. And, right. uh, you know, and the problem, he wasn't going deaf. He just gets wax built up in his ears. So we were at, and they said, you should come along because sometimes when they, you know, I don't know if how much experience you have with wax, wax build up in your ears, but he may not be able to drive after they finish pulling the wax out. So I went there and I was reading a magazine while they were, you know, using the machine on his ear. And I said, you know, can you check and see if he has sleep apnea? Because, you know, you know, sometimes I, I think he stops breathing. They can tell by looking in your no. ear whether you have sleep apnea or not? No. No, no they can but tell I by had what no the idea what they do to tech, <laughs> check that out. So they said, oh, if you think he has sleep apnea, most likely he does. And they sent him for a sleep study. And his sleep apnea was so bad. It, I think it was like 63. You know how they do the blood oxygen level? This oh, went down to 63. Really, oh, they, wow. they start paying attention when it gets below 90. And the lower it gets, the more likely you'll have a heart attack because you need your heart needs oxygen to pump. So his was so low that he was actually at that point where he could have had a heart attack in his sleep. So, uh, And then I remember the first day that he, he went to the sleep study and slept with the CPAP. It was... He was up at 5 o'clock in the morning. He was like, I don't know what to do with myself. He was so awake and... You it really a, felt different. Yeah, it was great. Made um, a huge difference. Now I think I, you know, this was a long. This was like in the early two thousands. Now I'm kind of used to it, so maybe I need to go back and get like a tune up or something. But I don't have that refreshment like I did that first time. So that's the oxygen level. I'm not going to ask. I mean, we're not talking about this now. But, well, I think you it's know. you know. <laughs> Apparently, I think our li- we are. Okay. Well, <laughs> well I think our listeners. <laughs> the oxygen. There's a lot of people you know may not be aware of this. We're doing a public. Well, service I mean, the here. reason why you know people that snore or stop breathing while they're sleeping need a CPAP is because the oxygen in your blood helps all your organs function. So if you go for eight hours a night with only 70% of your oxygen level, it's hurting your internal organs. Well, I got to tell you something. I had a sleep study done and it was in Orlando with this doctor. I'm not going to mention any names, but um, a neurologist that was very, very good, very well recommended. So there I am asleep. Anyway, I wake up in the morning and he says, he's shaking his head, you're not going to believe this, Mr. Trudeau. And I'm, what? What's wrong? I stopped. No writer's embellishment. No writer's embellishment. I stopped breathing over 400 times. Yeah, that's typical. He he said it was the worst he had ever seen. That's what he said. Yeah, that, so yeah, I don't know how typical it. I mean, he said yeah. it was the worst he had ever seen. Well, before Eric got his CPAP, I remember, you know, it was like a, a rhythmic snoring. You know, it was always snoring. And then when he would stop, it would wake me up. And then I'd like, you know, jab him with my elbow mm-hmm. <laughs> to get him kickstarted <laughs> again. And then when he finally got his CPAP, <laughs> I couldn't sleep because there was no snoring. It was like it took me like a week 
you know, to get used to the silence because I was so used to having the snoring going on. So did you go buy a snoring machine? You know what I mean? No, so no. That, I, no? <laughs> Instead no. of white noise, you know, <laughs> yeah. the, the crickets. No, I eventually uh, or... uh, got used to it. But, you know, now I watch him. As soon as he puts the CPAP on, he's out. I want a CPAP because I want to be able to go to sleep Everybody like should have one. I'd love a CPAP. I mean, other than the piece of crap I have, I have one, but I'm not. I don't use it. it sits Is in it a the corner. One that goes over why, why do you not use it? Because it doesn't work. Well, then you should. Get what do you mean it doesn't one? work? It doesn't work properly. It's but, digital. It's incredible. How does it, how does it not it's, work? It's not properly. diesel powered. Um, it's just a very. It's a very nice machine. Very elegant in design. The so I think mine just, is like an old analog. Really? One, yeah. The, I'll, I'll give you mine, Eric. You, have you probably have you diseases, don't want his. though. No, no, no. I don't want his, but he will want this. Trust me, it's great. Yours is really an old analog. This is digital. This is from like the early 2000s. This is fantastic. This freaking CPAP machine is beautiful. It's elegant in design. It's blue. It has just the right mood lighting. Does it go over your... It comes in designer colors. Yeah, it goes over your whole thing. Yeah, what size of the mask? Your mouth and your nose, yeah. It's great. Yeah. You should use it. I you can't. Use it. I can't. I've tried. I have a new thing that I do, okay? Yes, I'm going to let this out over the air. The new thing that I do, goodbye CPAP, hello Benadryl. But those are, those, that's, that's two different issues. I take two Benadryls a night. Well, I would recommend that you go get, get your um, CPAP, get it tuned up because the Benadryl is not going to help you with the yeah, sleep that, apnea. That, that's, that's masking the symptom. If right. you truly have sleep apnea, that's a dangerous situation that a CPAP would help. Colleen, right. am I masking? Yes. I am on a scale from 1 to 10. 10. Really? Wow. I come... I, I'm, I, I, I'm thinking that maybe you have allergies and maybe you need to take some sort of allergy medicine to clean your sinuses up so that you're not so congested. But those but are really two different, uh, two two different, different issues. Yeah. Right. I mean, you can have some blockage in your airway that prevents you from breathing while you're trying to, but in the case of sleep apnea, it's your body simply forgetting to breathe. So if you compound the two of them, where you stop breathing and then have difficulty breathing, it really makes a difficult situation. But cleaning out your airwaves, still you can have the problem with the sleep apnea. And so, I mean, reference the fact that you're still alive. You've managed okay so far. But I feel great. I feel like a million crazy dollars. Now, that's tax-free American currency. And I got to tell you this. I have had some incredible, incredible dreams. Nothing X-rated. I mean, I you say, guys this are a looking G-rated at me. show, Bill. Yeah. I'm telling you, fantastic, full-color dreams. Amazing. It's an adventure. My life is an adventure in, in my sleep life. You think yes. it might have something to do with the drugs that you take right before you go to sleep? <laughs> right, the Benadryl. Too much Benadryl. <laughs> anyway, we, we heavily oh. recommend you work on the fine-tuning of that because if you have apnea, the CPAP really will help. Are you addicted to your CPAP, Eric? Yeah. Really? Definitely is. I think when we went to um, down to, what, Key Largo, I think I forgot to bring it. And I was like in a total panic. He was. It was like, oh my god, I forgot. I forgot my mask. I thought that or whatever, was going to be it. I a was piece gonna, of you know. the, you know, the. And he said, "Well, I hope I'm alive in the morning." Because I had the CPAP up, but I forgot the um, the mask part. I had everything else because we, you know, he was addicted. He I is was addicted. In a panic. But sleep apnea can cause a lot of diseases. You know, heart disease, diabetes. I know, but you have to have this machine. I love the machine. For the rest of your life? Yeah, it's great. Are you serious? Yeah. Okay. 
He really loves his CPAP machine. It's my only friend, the CPAP. <laughs> that, well, in addition to Colleen and, you know, the dog. My only friend. But the CPAP is <laughs> It's right a CPAP there. machine, my only friend. Right. I love it. I haven't named That's it. That's great. But, uh, you yeah. have a name for it? I don't. I but, should But, okay, it. right now, you have to come up with this. is perfect timing. We're here on the show. Well, actually, we could make that day. for the next Friday Fizz Quiz. We could... Uh, Maybe we could have like it'd be like the bonus question, bonus round. Please right. name Eric CPAP. Yeah. Can we show a picture of your of you with your CPAP nah, mask? On? Nobody wants to see that. Nobody no, I do. I want to see, see it. That. Come on, you got to be kidding! On encore, it's perfect. We'll see what we can do. Okay. Is there anything else about the symphony we'd like to discuss? <laughs> <laughs> As well, we all laugh. I was going to suggest, you know, we need volunteers. You know, we're a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar business. And we're all pretty much run on volunteers doing running the business. So I know I could I need help with the phones. I'm not always available to answer the phones. Uh, I could use help with. I mean, we could use help with all aspects. If you have any interests out there for helping out the symphony, we need you, and we would love for you to join our team of wonderful volunteers that that support the symphony and keep it going. The other thing, too, which we started this past year, are host families. Host families basically will uh, host a musician that's traveling pretty far to come rehearse and play with us. And it's a great opportunity to get to know a musician. Uh, maybe you have a, um, children that you know want to meet somebody that's a musician. Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful experience. It's really worked out really well. Our host families love uh, taking in our our musicians, and you know, some of them take them out to dinner and breakfast, and you don't have to do that. But it's just we just need a place for our musicians to stay uh, when they're traveling here for rehearsals and concerts. It's kind of like a very very temporary foreign exchange student, right? Yes, it's very much like that. Yeah, you don't have to worry about oh my god, it's going to be a thing that I'm not going to be able to get rid of for a month or two months or a whole summer. No, it's one weekend. Right? Exactly. In essence. Usually it's a Friday and a Saturday night. Exactly. How great is that? And I'd also like to go back to the volunteer thing real quick. I have to tell you guys, I love Diana Pepin. I do. She is such a sweetheart, and she is so fantastic. I mean, pays attention to details. But but not only that, she has been, how long has she been doing what she does? Diana Pepin is our volunteer coordinator, and she is the person that is the glue that holds all of our volunteers together. She works endlessly for the symphony. Uh, she's the person you'll see handing out tickets at the concert. And, and then the day before the concert, she's putting all those tickets together. There's also Carol and Sherry. Donald and, Trump. And No, not Donald Trump. And uh, Cheryl, that helped. Those, those are the four people that really, I'm at, they're at our staff meetings every week. Uh, they, they work with us on all of the aspects, aspects of the volunteer job. So we could use more people to help us out. And, you know, and it's a lot of fun, too. You get to, know, get, to, get to meet and get to know really good people. And so I encourage you to join our volunteer organization. Well, and there are a variety of things, too. Part of what we talked about was uh, handling tickets, taking money at the concerts, being an usher. But if someone doesn't want to be 
people facing necessarily working during the concerts. They just want to come and enjoy the concerts. There are lots of office activities they can do as Correct. well, stuffing envelopes, etc. Mm-hmm. Yes, we need we need help with the phones. Somebody to answer, be the voice for the symphony, or at least help a little bit. You know, a couple hours, and you can do that from home. You don't need to come into our office to answer the phones. Uh, there's also work that needs to be done at the office, like filing and copying things. And there's a lot, I mean, just like any business, there's a lot of, you know, aspects to running the symphony, including, you know, what I do. I keep, I do all the bookkeeping. I pay all the bills. I do all the, uh, I pay all the musicians. I, I, I do a lot of, I'm the, basically the bookkeeper for the symphony. And I could use help with that too. That's a, I'm, I believe that would be a huge task. I would never venture to to do that. Even though you need help, I'm, uh, count me out. But I have to. My hats off to you. I have to hand it to you. That's a big job. It is a big job. I do. I act basically go in every morning and and balance a checkbook. Well, well, it's a lot of behind the scenes uh, operational things that we've been talking about. But why don't we give the listeners a little bit of a taste of the actual concert? We have a recording from our recent West Side Story concert. So let's uh, listen to a short piece from it. All right. I think uh, what would be a good piece would be uh, Michael Doherty's Letters from Lincoln. I do too. I think think that that was one of my favorite uh, pieces of the concert. (sighs) It's based on uh, Lincoln's own writing. The... um, Singer Robert John Foster did a fantastic job. I think um, our listeners will really enjoy it. From a recent concert of the Space Coast Symphony Orchestra, Letters from Lincoln. Thank you. 
What's the next concert that's coming up? Well, Eric, I'm glad you asked that question. Art of the Big Band. That's going to be a great concert uh, featuring the Space Coast Symphony Jazz Orchestra, uh, directed by Dr. Patrick Hennessy. Yes. And as we talked about just a little while earlier, if you weren't at the first Big Band Bash, which was a couple of months ago, it was a fantastic show. I think all of us were there. But the reason that we're having this upcoming concert is the fact that it was such a great performance. The fans loved it and asked for more, so we've added another show. Yeah. This is your opportunity to hear professional musicians that do this for a living that have made recordings that played a Disney 16-piece big band playing all the works that you're familiar with and love. Absolutely. And it's the 8th at the Scott Center for Performing Arts. Right. uh, 7 p.m. 7 p.m. Just off the Pineda in Melbourne. You can't miss it. I'm asking the question that's on the front of everybody's mind. Uh, not too long ago, we interviewed Bob Gloppin, who played the bass on the Big Band Bash. Is he coming back into town? Yes, Bob is coming back. Are you really? serious? Really? Okay, I was He's expecting you back? to say no one else. But yes, so, but, so Bob is coming yes. back for the concert. Fantastic. Yes. That's great. Yes. That is cool. I like Bob. I wasn't able to see him last time he was here. I'm looking hey, there's no to stopping it. Bob Gloppin from playing this next concert. You're right. <laughs> Well, I suspect there's another date for the concert. Ah, yes, the 9th in Vero Beach. Yes, Sunday, uh, August 9th at 3 p.m. 3 p.m. At Vero Beach. uh, High School for Performing Arts Center, right? Exactly. Exactly. We're looking forward to that. That's going to be fantastic. And, of course, we have Animation Domination coming up the end of the month. When's that going to be? 22nd and 23rd. Oh. That's going to be a fun concert. Yeah. Yeah, Because that's going to be a multimedia presentation, correct? Yes, Correct. We're going to be doing Have Chicken ever, Run, um, How to Train Your, how to dragon. Train your ja- dragon, which are really fun pieces to perform. Yeah, it's in, uh, it's in partnership with DreamWorks, right? Mm-hmm. Right, it's going to yeah. be big. Basically what it is, is we perform the music, and then there'll be either still images or maybe a trailer of the image or a, a section of the movie behind it. But where do you ever get the opportunity to listen to the music while watching the film? It's just so cool. I mean, if you turn off the sound when you're watching a movie, like Chicken Run, how fun is it to watch that movie without the music? (laughs) Yeah, right. Well, that's great. Ladies and gentlemen, I got to tell you, it's been a heck of a show. We really have had a great time. Colleen, thank you so much for for being on the show. Sure, it's been fun. Yeah. And And I can um, tell that uh, you're probably doing that because something is getting cooked over there and it smells fantastic. So (laughs) it's lunchtime. (laughs) It does smell good. 
This is Bill Trudeau. And Eric Lee. And I'm Jeremy Hickman with our guest for the hour. Colleen Lee. Reminding you as always, we'll, we'll see you at the show. You've been listening to Maestros On Air. Brought to you by the Space Coast Symphony Orchestra. Remember, you can support the symphony in many ways, including a visit to Maestro's Cafe, located just inside the main entrance to the Brevard Central Library and Reference Center, 308 Forest Avenue, Cocoa, Florida. Maestro's Cafe serves a variety of coffee and other drinks, as well as breakfast and lunch selections, and is open most days from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., with extended hours on Tuesday and Thursday, closed Sunday. For more information about the symphony or upcoming concerts, like us on Facebook. Or visit our webpage at spacecoastsymphony.org. And remember, as always, we'll see you at the show. Velocity Production.